Hi, my name is Jennifer Andrus, and I'm the host of Nuts and Bolts podcast brought to you by Vulcan. Hi, I'm Jennifer Andrus, your host of Nuts and Bolts presented by Vulcan Park and Museum. A quick introduction, I am a Homewood city councilor. Homewood is the community just below Vulcan's backside, as we like to say, the moon over Homewood. The Nuts and Bolts podcast will consist of previous honorees of the Vulcan's Community Awards, providing a then and now reflection from when they were presented the award to present day. We look forward to this podcast providing great insight on all things Vulcan, its work throughout the community, and the opportunities award winners have gained since receiving the award. This week, we are focusing on education, and we have two special guests, Dr. Adrian Starks, CEO of Stream Innovations, and J.W. Carpenter, President at Prosper. First, can each of you give us a quick look into your background and what led you to having a successful career in education? And we will start with Dr. Starks. Thanks so much, Jennifer. I am the founder and CEO of Stream Innovations. I'm originally from Fairfield, Alabama. I spent time at Alabama A&M University, as well as University of Maryland, Baltimore County, and the National Institutes of Health. So education and acquiring degrees and things of that nature is something I'm very interested in being able to help other students to be able to achieve their passions. So I started Stream Innovations in 2015 and from 2017 until now, we've been doing programs across Jefferson County as well as in Dothan, Alabama. So what we wanna be able to do is see the work that we do spread across the state of Alabama and Stream Innovations, just in case you're not aware, stands for, STREAM stands for Science, Technology, Reading, Engineering, Arts, and Mathematics. Great. JW, give us a little bit about your background. Uh, well, so first, just thanks to Vulcan for this opportunity, um, and also fun to be here with uh, my friend, Dr. Starks. Uh, I have an, N an NIH story, too. I once drove by NIH. <laughs> uh, it's beautiful. I imagine they do real good work on the inside. I don't know anything about that. Um, so I had two different stints in education right out of uh, college. I taught with Teach for America in rural Arkansas. I taught Algebra 1, Algebra 2, Trigonometry, Calculus, and English at a rural oh, school. Oh. Yeah, well, I didn't say I did it well, but I did teach. <laughs> and uh, after that, I went to law school, uh, moved back to Birmingham to practice law. This is where my family had settled. Like, we moved here from New Jersey, and, and I went to high school here. Didn't think I'd ever come back but came back and was thrilled to do so. And while I was a practicing attorney, there were a group of guys uh, down in rural Alabama, specifically um, Greensboro and Hale County, who wanted to bring Teach for America to Alabama. And I was lucky enough to reconnect with them and really ride on their coattails as they were able to put the pieces in place to bring Teach for America to Alabama. And at the end of it, after helping them out just a little bit, uh, I was able to become the first and founding executive director of Teach for America, did that for four years, and from there um, moved over to the Birmingham Education Foundation, where I was there for about eight years as well. So uh, a couple different stints in education. It's been, it's been an absolute ton of fun. That sounds like it. What is it how, how does it differ from your legal career? What, what stands out for you as far as the differences there? <laughs> well, I think there's overlap in the sense that, you know, when you're an attorney, what you want to make sure is that your client is well served. And when I was at my best, both at Teach for America and at the Birmingham Education Foundation, I kept my client in mind and the client were the students. And if I were doing what was best for the students and the two most important groups are the students, and that's their families and their educators, then I was doing a really, really good job. 
And when I uh, lost sight of that, that's when I needed to step up and improve. And so I think being a lawyer taught me that. Dr. Starks, tell us a little bit about being an African-American female who has founded a nonprofit and is running a nonprofit. Uh, How does that look in 2021? It looks a lot of different ways. And it kind of feels like a loaded question because there are good parts about it. There are challenging parts about it. Um, I made the decision to start Stream Innovations because there was a need in my community. I was living in the Maryland, um, D.C. area, finishing up my postdoc at NIH, and was on Facebook, as most people are, Facebook, social media, and was seeing that there was a change in my community, and it was not reflective of the community that I grew up in. So I wanted to come back for a small amount of time. <laughs> and, <laughs> and be able to start something and then return back to the D.C., Maryland and Virginia area. And that didn't happen. And that was a good thing. And it didn't happen because the need was much greater than I was aware of and made the decision to start Stream Innovations um, by adding reading and art to an acronym that most people know about STEM. And we did that and we were intentional because there were students that I met around that two, three year period of time before we started the organization that had a cool art portfolio. And I asked and inquired, well, what do you think you wanna do with that? And they were not sure. I said, well, what about animation? What about, you know, are there any programs around here that you might be able to be, you know, interested in or where you can show this amazing work that you're doing? and they were not aware. Um, also had an opportunity to um, support some students to attend the UAB Honors Writing Camp, um, which is fairly expensive. So we were able to have some students from Fairfield to attend that free of charge because of a scholarship that was provided to them. And I asked them, um, was this beneficial to you at all? Because I wasn't sure, I'm not a writer. I don't understand fully what the needs are there. But when they said to me, this was beneficial because I did not know that there were so many different ways that you could write stories or share your voice. And I asked, you know, would you want to do something like this again? And they said, for sure, because going to school, they wrote in their journals, they had notebooks, but there was not a space or a place where they felt as if they could use that to do something better or to follow that passion within a career. So within that moment, those two moments, I thought we have to add reading, we have to add art. So starting a nonprofit as a scientist is a little bit tricky. And that is because um, my brain has always been focused on how, what is the problem? How do we solve it? What are the logistical ways of doing that? And if anyone is in the nonprofit world, they will tell you that relationships mm -hmm. are your currency. And the fact that I was coming back into town, um, although I'm from here, um, I was gone for um, over maybe 12 years, a little over a decade. So I had to reestablish myself here, even with the credentials that I have, being from the community, having community that having family that was vested in the community. That gave me some credibility, but not as much as I thought. And it was because with nonprofit work, you're asking people to believe in your vision 
You're asking people to volunteer their time. You're asking people, of course, to give money to support the thing that you're doing. And that is really based upon relationships. So as an African-American woman with this STEM degree, you know, that I, already had, I was able to garner some support for sure. But unfortunately, it was a little bit more difficult than I had assumed that it would be. I thought everyone should get behind education because of course everyone wants children, their children to be able to be successful. However, understanding how to run a business, understanding that relationship currency, understanding what it meant to ask and sometimes beg people for money professionally was very different. Um, I will say that I don't regret it. Um, it has been very impactful because as an African-American woman in STEM, talking to other girls and talking to boys in the communities that we serve that are intentionally underrepresented and underserved, I am literally the product of what it looks like when you invest in education and you support students to say, if this is your passion, let's see what we can do to open up doors for you. So when I grew up here, I went to UAB for the summers. I did summer programs, um, bio-teach. I always was in some type of a program if I wasn't working at a retail job. And because of that, that allowed me to see the world beyond what was taught at my school. And I realized that there was something out there that struck my interest and that I was intrigued by. And that's what allowed me to keep doing what I was doing. And my hope is that with Stream Innovations, that that is something that we're able to do. We're able to you know, help with a spark, increase passion for kids, for young adults that are interested in doing something across this stream spectrum. And for us as a community and society to be able to benefit from their passion. She said three really profound things as far as leading a nonprofit JW. She <laughs> mentioned, Dr. Starks mentioned, believe in your vision, how do you get people to give their time? How do you get people to get their resources? Can you talk about that from the perspective of Prosper? Yeah, yeah certainly. Um, I think, so there are a couple things there. And I think one of the, the points, before I just answer your question, I'm just gonna talk about what I wanna talk sure. about, <laughs> um, is uh, one of the things, like Adrian and I both left, both here, we both left, both ended up in the mid-Atlantic. Yep. And I imagine, and I'm not going to speak for Dr. Starks. I know I said, I'm not coming back. I do too. Okay. And I imagine that when, and when I came back, I said, nah, I don't know that I'm going to be back for very long. Same. And she did say that. <laughs> and now we're here. And I would say to all of those folks who are out there who left Alabama, didn't come back, wherever you are in your lives, come back. Yeah. Consider it. Yeah. Because you probably left for a reason. You're worried. Maybe I can't do what I want to do here professionally. Maybe I can't make the space for myself personally. And that's easier for me to say six foot tall, straight white male, high income background. You know, the world is built to make it comfortable <laughs> for me. But I'm telling you like, there is a space for you here. We need you here. There is no line. You get to come toward the front and you can be part of something really great, not just in Birmingham and Jefferson County, but for Alabama. And this is how I think Alabama is really gonna get to a place uh, where we are providing opportunities to everyone is, a big chunk of that is folks moving here and, and the lowest hanging fruit are folks that have been here before. Yep. So I hope you would consider coming back. 
uh, something that Dr. Stark said, I think I might have counted more than three profound things, uh, but yes. my memory's pretty bad. <laughs> so one of the things she said was relationships are currency. I think that that is really important. I am not saying that isn't true in another industry. I'm not saying that isn't true in another place, but it is certainly true here. And I think it's something very distinct about big, small town like Birmingham. Yep. And so a lot of times people, you know, I've been an inveterate, shameless uh, fundraiser uh, and I continue. I'm celebrating my 11th anniversary of being a shameless fundraiser. Uh, <laughs> and so a lot of people and I've been very successful at fundraising. And so the question is, is like how much of that is skill and how much of it is identity. Mm -hmm. Right. And you can't necessarily it's not binary and you can't tell where one ends and one begins. But certainly I think I have a specific skill with fundraising both a technical sense and i'm very passionate about what i do i wouldn't be as good at fundraising for other causes not that i don't think those causes are good but they don't touch my heart like education does like inclusive economic development does like making sure that we're uh, expanding the pie uh here but part of it is also six foot tall straight white male high income background who went to indian springs a very good school where a lot of folks who uh, are philanthropists have attended. And so it is easier for me to get into rooms. It is easier for me to get meetings. It is easier to be, for, invited, to to be invited to rooms, to have my voice heard. I share the identity of most of the folks who are or a large part of the identity of most of the folks who are writing checks. And again, I'm not saying they only wrote a check because we have identity. I'm saying I get more uh, at bats. I get more opportunity. And the main difference between me a lot of the times and the students I deeply care about, whether that was in Arkansas, whether it was in the Birmingham City Schools or around the Black Belt, is uh, I have my margin for error is wide and their margin for error is thin. Mm -hmm. And so I think about when I think about Prosper and what we are trying to do with Prosper in terms of those relationships, what we want to make sure is the decisions we are making around investments in inclusive economic development are being made with the community at the table, their voices heard on the front end and throughout. So it's not just uh, it's not just looking at outcomes, and that is important. I love data; that's very important. It is not just uh, making sure that we are putting resources behind those outcomes. It's making sure that at the beginning, the middle, towards the end, if the end ever comes, that we have a lot of different voices in the room that we're checking in, that, that we're listening uh, to those folks, that we're taking their advice. Uh, that we're taking their pushback and that we're not made of glass and that we are investing in those communities as well. Because a lot of the time folks will borrow people's ideas and advice and in exchange, they will give them nothing, not even mm -hmm. credit, let alone money. And so we want to set a standard prosper at Prosper, not just in our outcome, but in our process, that it is truly inclusive of all different folks. We do have a specific focus on working with and supporting the black community and women, not because we want only those groups to participate. But if you look at the last 400 years, if you look at this moment, these are the two groups who represent the biggest moral failings of our city, our county, our state, and our country. Mm -hmm. This is where we have missed the most opportunities. It is where the moral and strategic imperative meet as an intersection. This is the majority of citizens in our county. If the moral argument doesn't get you, we cannot grow economically unless they are growing economically. And lastly, and, I, and this is to link back uh, to the first point, if you want people to stay here and if you want people to move here, great employees, people, great entrepreneurs, great leaders, then you must be a community that invests in everyone, that creates a space for everyone. And right now that is not our reputation. Now, I think that is more of who we were than who we are. 
But if we want to be more of who we are than what we were, then we have to demonstrate that, not just with words, although that's a start, but with action over a long period of time. And that is what we are intending to do at Prosper. And I think that is what I have done at my best. The downside is, is I'm not always at my best. <laughs> I don't believe that. It's true. No, I have mounds <laughs> of evidence for that. Don't I don't know if I believe that. All right. Well, it wouldn't be 2021 if I wasn't going to ask you a question about COVID. So Dr. Mm -hmm. Starks, what advice would you give to Birmingham students, their parents, and their educators as far as dealing with transitioning back into traditional learning, um, dealing with COVID, vaccination rates moving slowly, et cetera? I would say to anyone that's listening right now, take a moment, breathe, because you made it thus far. There are a lot of people that have lost life. There are a lot of people that um, whose lives will never be the same anymore because of this pandemic. And a lot of it has impacted our children in ways that we have yet to even unpack. And with Stream Innovations, we did a listening tour in May, early May of this year that was funded by the Community Foundation of Greater Birmingham. And what we decided to do was to ask parents to sign up for us to listen to them. And we were listening for how did they believe their children and their learning feelings, um, performance occurred during the pandemic. Whether it was high anxiety, whether it was a lot of successes, whether it was excitement, we wanted to hear from them. And around that time, we wanted to use that data to better inform us about what programs we should have in that summer of 2021. So a lot of the results that we saw was that there was anxiety as well as excitement. Um, there were, and I, and I didn't want us to be biased to assume that everything was the worst. There were a lot of families that were able to, to reconnect because you had 15 different schedules for every child that you had and you were working and there were a lot of parents and families that struggled because of health challenges that were exacerbated because of the pandemic. And we wanted to hear all of it. We heard um, a lot of parents talk about um, anxiety around social anxiety where their children weren't able to um, be able to connect with friends. There was academic anxiety where there were so many different things they had to learn via Zoom and how to um, communicate. They had to wake up hopefully not five minutes before class started, but all of that was a part of it. In addition to COVID anxiety, um, would I potentially come in contact with someone and bring COVID back to my family and I could potentially lose my parents or my grandparents or my aunts or my uncles? And then at the end, it was academic burnout because they were on so frequently throughout this pandemic and parents wanting to make sure that their children did not get behind the best that they can, whether parents were working because they were essential employees or they were at home and they were now at home teachers. <laughs> <laughs> so parent kids had a lot of other anxieties and stressors that were added to them. And I don't know if collectively we've had those moments to talk to our children to say, how are you doing in the midst of all of this? And to listen to um, how they have fared through all of this. 
there were also some really great stories around um, parents identifying that their children did not work well in some of these the schools that they were enrolled in. There were a number of parents that made the decision, we're going to shift how we do family and we're going to do homeschool. A lot of parents made that decision because their children were able to have more structure and they saw that they were being able to learn in a healthier way that they were able to set up for their children. I don't think without this horrible pandemic, they would have had an opportunity to develop that relationship with their children. Um, how it has impacted us is that we did not have traditional programming this summer. And we didn't do that because there were a lot of parents that told us during our listening tour that although they wanted their children to have face-to-face -face programming, the challenge was they really wanted to make sure that we did every protocol that was necessary from the CDC to make sure that they would be safe. And um, I also wanted to make sure that we protected our staff. So instead we did virtual programming. And in the midst of that, we also introduced a brand new program, um, partnering with um, the Housing Authority in Dothan um, to be able to support communities that um, have far less, unfortunately, than many of the communities that we serve that are already disadvantaged. So um, moving forward with this pandemic, people have asked, are we doing programs in the fall? And I am still respecting the decisions that have to be made in our education systems. And it's very difficult decisions around those that you said, vaccination, vaccination rates, tracing in addition to that, what are quarantine rules in addition to all of the masking um, mandates and regulations and feelings um, I saw recently that there was a school in Jefferson County where the students um, staged a protest um, because they felt as if they were not being considered about their safety regarding um, mask mandates. For us with STREAM, I'm very careful to not get into the politics of education, but I truly support how can we provide resources to parents whether they are, their children are in school or their children are home or they're looking for something in addition to either of those different options. And it's our responsibility to see how we can fill in those gaps, how we can do things that are not traditional to be able to still support students in this very challenging time where they do not lose their passion. They do not feel as if they need to check out of the importance of school the importance of identifying the things that you would love to do for a career because we need them. Our country, our world will look very different because of these years that we've had within the pandemic and how we collectively work together to come back from this, to do some things. I mean, none of us have ever been in a pandemic like this before. So how we get out of it, I think it's going to take some non-traditional ways of doing that. And that's listening in addition to working with organizations, grassroots, um, stream innovations, prosper. How do we do this? Because collectively, this is impacting all of us. Absolutely. Did Debbie, how do you speak to that? Why do I have to go second? <laughs> <laughs> this is a conspiracy. Um, so I think the, uh, you know, I think I wouldn't disagree with anything Dr. Stock said. I think the working collectively piece is, is good. And, and she touched on something. I'm loath to give advice, guys. Uh, <laughs> one of the things that Dr. Starks 
said at the end is we've never experienced this pandemic before. One of the pieces of advice I got early in my career is we're all winging it. <laughs> and, and I think that has more or less been true. And boy, are we winging it now. Yeah. And unfortunately, one of the greatest tools we have in our arsenal when it comes to all of us winging it is grace. Yes. And we don't seem to be very good at it right now. No. We seem instead to want to rush to judgment, rush to blame, rush to lack of understanding. And what I say to as someone who is can be very judgmental and, some, and to other people who want to be judgmental, you can get all the context and still be judgmental. Yes. I say that's still available to you, but ask a few clarifying questions for it first. But I would say, let's make sure we're showing grace to one another. Yeah. What I would say, uh, and I, I, I'm saying this out loud to myself as much as anyone else, uh, take care of yourself and your needs first and safety first. I think we think of safety, understandably, in this case, as physical safety. And that is the number one concern because, because those folks, especially those folks who are not vaccinated, but not exclusively those who are not vaccinated, can suffer devastating uh, physical consequences to this. Uh, but there's mental health concerns, too. At the mm -hmm. Ed Foundation, we did a survey prior to COVID. We talked to hundreds of, of parents. And the number one thing that they said uh, facing their students was mental health, mm -hmm. not just the mental health concerns they have, but the lack of resources we dedicate toward mental health. Mm -hmm. That was before COVID, folks. Mm -hmm. Guys, the mental health situation is worse now. Mm -hmm. It is worse, both in terms of the available resources, especially for kids, but in terms of the issues that folks are facing. Uh, and I would say that I believe in the K-curve. I think that COVID has uh, hurt our communities in low-income communities a lot worse, mm -hmm. as it often does. Mm -hmm. uh, for those of us who are in management positions, especially those of us who share my identity, six-foot-tall, straight, white, male, high-income background, understand that your employees of color, specific year of Black employees, are much more likely to have been personally impacted by COVID than you. That is what the data says. They're much more likely to have lost a loved one than you. They are much more likely to have been disproportionately impacted than you have. And so understand that grace and mental health days, that a lot of people see that as an excuse to get out of work. It is not. It is a necessary strategy for doing your best work. Mm -hmm. And we must show grace. And if, again, your love of your employees doesn't get you there, understand that every hour or every day that you give them space comes back dressed up to you as a more efficient employee that's going to stay with yep. you a lot longer. Yep. To folks out there, ask for help. Ask clarifying questions if you don't understand. That's for all of us. It is okay to ask for help. We all need help. Yeah. And give help. Give help to people. Assume the best in them. And, and do what you can. And you don't have to boil the whole ocean. Help in one or two people if everyone did that. That's enough, guys. It's enough. And you don't have to be at the center of the story. Last thing I'd say is this. Our kids suffered immensely last year. Yeah. Okay, They suffered not just physical health and, and mental health. Our kids, many of whom started the year very behind when it came to reading, when it came to math, when it came to science, they are worse. And that matters. It absolutely 100% matters. And anyone minimizing kids who are not reading on grade level, who are behind on math, are basically setting low expectations for our kids. Yep. But understand this. While that matters, guys, you're not going to make it up in a year. No. This is a marathon. <laughs> and anyone who says, well, that they can't read by third grade, forget it. Guys, it's nonsense. It's someone who has no experience. If the kid can't read by third grade, teach him to read in fourth grade. Teach him to read in fifth. We can do this, but we it is a marathon. And we have to be at once 
committed to very high standards for our kids and the resources necessary to meet those high standards. And we also have to show grace and patience to the fact that kids aren't all going to go up four or five grade levels in one year. We haven't <laughs> figured that out. And we certainly haven't figured it out at scale during a pandemic, during hybrid learning. So those are some of my advice. But guys, I am talking at mu as much, if not more, to myself as a parent as I am to any of you, because my wager is you have as much, if not more good advice to me in this unprecedented situation than I have for you. <laughs> well, if someone wants to get in touch with you to give you that information, give us, uh, give us all your social handles, all sure. your uh, information. I don't know all of them. So what I'd say <laughs> is, first of all, go to www.streaminnovations.org and you can donate there and that's where you should donate. So if you're listening to this podcast and you feel like I've got to write a <laughs> check, you. I've got to write a check. Just write it to Adrian. All right. Or excuse Straight me, Dr. Innovations. Starks. Yeah. All right. She'll tell you it again. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna uh I'm I wanna promote that because I've seen the work. I mean, I, I have a great deal of personal affection for Dr. Starks, but I've seen the work, even if I didn't like her, it's really good. <laughs> www.prosperbham.com. You can find all the information about Prosper there, including all of our different social media. Um to uh, social media handles, which I don't know off the top of my head, but www.prosperbham.com. We're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, we're on Instagram, we're on LinkedIn. Please uh, sign up. We're only six months in. There's a lot more we have to learn than we have to teach, but we expect uh, to be a force for long-term data-driven, inclusive economic growth. But we are going to do that well for the city and the county if we do it together, if we're using our ears and mouth in proportion, and if we're hearing from you. So please reach out, uh, JW Carpenter at prosperbm.com. I am easy to find. <laughs> and donate, too. Yeah, you can donate to me, but first donate to Adrian. Well, Dr. Starks, how would we go about doing that? So going to streaminnovations.org slash donate is the easiest way to get to us. Currently, we are in our giving season where we're celebrating six years. So we are in our give six. So whether it's $6, $60, 600, 6,000, <laughs> 600,000, 6 million, yeah. whatever you feel that you can stroke a pen or put your information in and do, do that. Um, Does giving season stop? <laughs> giving season never stops. Okay, good. We're just highlighting it right now. <laughs> yeah, you know, it never stops. <laughs> but we're also um, on all social media, Facebook, um, LinkedIn, um, Instagram, Stream Innovations, and on Twitter, Stream Innovate. And if you're looking for me, um, I'm also on those spaces for Dr. Starks to you is Twitter and Instagram. So I'm extremely excited to be a part of this conversation next to JW um, as two people that have come back and that want to see this community better than how it was when we returned. And putting a lot of ourselves on the table to risk that. Um, we both could be doing some very different things, but the need here is so great. And it's not just because I, I want to give so I can say that I gave. I also feel it's a part of my responsibility to do that. Mm -hmm. um, this is the town, this is the city and the state that I mm -hmm. came from. Yes. And if I'm going to start giving back to any state, city, town, it should start with mine first. And that's one of the reasons that um, I'm sure we both share in coming back. And I look forward to the work that Prosper will be doing and holding them accountable to doing <laughs> Happy to, awesome please. work because that's what he's asked me to do. Um, I think it's a different thing when you have organizations and companies that 
are deciding we want to go out and just do the work because we have the funds to do it. It's another thing when they say hold us accountable to doing good work that actually reflects what the community needs. And I'll stand next to him and say that that's something that he and I have talked about that they are being intentional about doing. That's fantastic. Oh, I'm not done. Oh, um, that was really <laughs> nice of you to say. And please do hold us accountable. There are a lot of folks out there who at this moment, and I hope this moment lasts until the earth crashes into the sun, but at this moment say, well, what can we do about equity? What can we do to make sure that, that, that we are finally addressing um, the inequity that we face in our community, that we face in communities all over the country? You, you know, guys, there are a lot of ways to do that, but I would say one way to do that is invest in organizations that are run by people of color. Mm-hmm. Okay. So mm-hmm. a lot of the philanthropic levers get pulled by folks who are not people of color. Most of the largest nonprofits in the Birmingham, Jefferson County area are not run by people of color. And so a lot of the times the, the funding and the opportunity doesn't always flow to the organizations, especially ones that are started from the ground up like Stream Innovations. Uh, and so this is an easy way to do it, guys. And you, it is, it, I'm not asking for charity. I'm asking for investment. This is investment in really good ideas and good people and good entrepreneurs. And if we demonstrate we do this, we're doing the moral thing, we're doing the strategic thing, and we're sending a message to the rest of the country that we are open for business. And that is how you keep and this is how you attract the best and most talented people, not just in the nonprofit field, but in any field. So please consider doing that. You start with Dr. Starks, streaminnovations.org. Thank you. That's excellent. That's really great. I've really enjoyed listening to you talk about your, both of your organizations and they're doing outstanding work and we're grateful to have you. And I'm so glad that you have been recognized by Vulcan so we can <laughs> be here to have this conversation. Uh, thanks again for taking time to sit down with us and you will find this podcast at www.visitvulcan.com. And thank you all for listening to Nuts and Bolts presented by Vulcan Park Museum. 